Well, men, let's uh, open our Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. This afternoon, we're going to spend some time in the book of Ephesians. And um, the Apostle Paul is finishing up the book. And uh, he's laying out, the very last thing he has to say is uh, laying out a, the Christian's path to a victory over evil influences. So I've asked uh, Don Whaley. Don, where you at, buddy? There you are. I've asked Don Whaley, if you guys you got your Bibles open, to read uh, chapter six, Ephesians 6. 10 through 18. So follow along as Don reads for us, if you would, please. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Thank you, Don. As we view this passage, we might ask ourselves, is this passage primarily about our battle with evil? Or is it primarily about knowing God and living by his empowerment, which I'm calling power living? I would suggest that verse 10 gives us the answer. He starts off this whole section of scripture with, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of of his might. In chapter 3, as he's finishing up the doctrine part of the book, the Apostle Paul prays for us, obviously for the church at Corinth, or at uh, Ephesians, but uh, that extends on to you and I as Christians. And listen to what the first thing he asks in his prayer. We won't go there for time's sake. But he says, I'm going to ask God to grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Let me read that again, guys. Grab a hold of it. Grant us, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. 
That sounds like the, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. In fact, I'll tell you what, I don't have this in my notes, but let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. And our uh, theme, our theme for the weekend is verse 28. Follow along. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Now listen to this. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Remember when he prayed for us? That God would give us power through his spirit in the inner man. That is what I'm calling in this, in our time together as power living so and then in verse 12 the apostle Paul reminds us though that our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers the powers the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places then he spends the remainder of the chapter telling us how to defend ourselves against the unseen forces, Satan, the demons. And by the way, you know, the demons are organized. We're told that, and I'm not sure I know how to pronounce this, but Be Bezabel, uh, in uh, Luke 11, Bezabel is the ruler of the demons within the kingdom of of Satan. But Satan himself is relentless, he's ruthless, he's crafty. Jesus tells us in John 17 that he's a liar and he's a murderer and has been from the beginning. Therefore, we're told to be strong, and it's interesting, in this passage Don just read, Paul tells us, be strong. Tells us twice, stand firm. Resist. Be on the alert with perseverance. See, men, the spiritual battle is a defensive battle, not an offensive battle. The Lord's Prayer even infers that. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jude reminds us in his little book, he tells a, he tells a story of uh, Michael the archangel, who is sure stronger than we are, is contending with Satan over the body of Moses. Wouldn't you like to have been there and watch that? Yeah. And Michael the archangel, listen to this, defensively resisted Satan by simply saying, the Lord rebuke you. This point being Jesus Christ is sovereign over Satan and all of us, and he's our offense. 
He's our guardian. We're okay, guys. We just got to do our part and play defense. James and Peter reinforced this defensive nature in the battle when in James says in chapter 4, 6 to 8, he says, uh, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And men, that's not something that's esoteric. That's something uh, down and dirty on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and so on. I can't tell you how many times, and I think one of the ways that the, Satan messes with the pair of demons is uh, they cannot do anything to us without Jesus' permission. And if he gives them permission, it's always for our good. It's interesting, we'll talk about him in a minute, but the Apostle Paul, when he had his thorn in the flesh, and he said that Satan, God had Satan give him the thorn in the flesh. So God even uses Satan for his own purposes. So all is, all is well, everything's in control. But I, one of the places is uh, he'll, mess, he'll mess with our thinking. And fellas, the battle is in our thoughts, our thinking. Because all permanent change starts with a man's thinking. And so, there's few things we control, but we can control our thinking. We can't control everything that comes into our minds, but we can control what stays on the screen of our mind. And for me, I find that thoughts will come onto the screen of my mind, and some of them may be just horribly ugly, and some of them may just be distractions while I'm studying or something. And I find, just for me, I just find I've, this verse of submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. And I just say, sometimes it'll be so strong, I'll even say it outside, out loud. Satan, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of his shed blood and his resurrection, I resist you. And man, I'm telling you, my thoughts just clean up immediately. So this is, this is real stuff. It's, uh, and then Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 5, 9, he says, Re resist Satan, firm in your faith. Hmm. So the end of the goal, goal is putting on the full armor of God, which is building up our biblical faith to defend ourselves. Hmm. Our battle is against the unseen world. A few years ago, this unseen world became more real to me than it ever had. I was in my office in Colorado Springs at the time I was living there, and my son-in-law, Joe Bradley, several of you guys know him, had a business and, uh, there, and so he called me. One morning I was at the office, and he said, uh, he calls me Dad, and he said, Dad, I've, I got a problem. I'm with my uh, employee, Dave, who I knew, and he said, uh, 
he's having a hard time today. And I said, what's wrong? He said, he's got a demon. I said, what? He said, I've got, he's got a demon. What do I do? I said, well, why don't you go ahead and just work with him today? Stay with him. And uh, I have to make some calls because uh, this is a new one for me. So I uh, ended up calling a, re a retire older godly man. He was a missionary in, in uh, South America for 30 years, down where, they <laughs> down where he saw a lot of it, I guess. So I called Jim, a guy by the name of Jim Peterson. And uh, Jim, Jim, you may have read a book or two of his. And uh, so I told him what was going on. And he said, well, Winston, he said, I don't do that anymore. But uh, he said, I'll, uh, I'll help you with this if you want. And I said, yeah, I sure appreciate it. So Jim and I, I picked up Jim that night. And uh, we met uh, my son-in-law, Joe, and Dave uh, over at the warehouse. So Jim's a very quiet uh, gentleman. And uh, so he had his Bible, and he just started talking to Dave. And he said, Dave, I understand that uh, you have a demon. And Dave said, yeah. Dave kind of started to tighten up. And I said, uh, and so Jim said, uh, how long have you had him, Dave? He said, all my life. He said, every morning when I get up, he says, Dave, you're not worth a piece of shit. And so Jim then said, well... Dave, would you like to get rid of your demon? And Dave got real tight. You could see it in his neck. And finally he said, he kind of nodded his head yes. So Jim said, took him over to uh, Luke 11. And he said, uh, Dave, we can, we can have the demon leave. But, uh, and he read over in uh, Luke 11, we won't go there for a time, but he said, if we get rid of a demon, we're going to have to replace him or he'll come back and he'll be worse off than before. And that, that's the passage that talks about that. And uh, so he talked to him, showed him several scriptures and, so, and explained to him the gospel. And so uh, he said to Dave, he said, Dave, would you like to... Uh, get rid of a demon, and Dave wouldn't even talk. He just, he was so tight, and finally he nodded his head yes. So Jim just very quietly just said, in the name of Jesus and by the power of his shed blood, demon, leave him. That's basically what he said. And so he waited a minute. He said, Dave, did he leave? And Dave shook his head no. So Jim waited just a little bit, and then he said to Dave, Dave, do you want him to go? And Dave said, but he's been with me so long. So Jim waited just a little bit. My son-in-law and I, 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 we were over there, our eyes are about this big around, you know. <laughs> And Jim said to Dave again, do you want him to go? And you can see Dave was just tight as a fiddle. And he finally shook his head yes. So Jim again prayed a similar prayer. 
waited a little bit and asked Dave. He said, Dave, did the, did the demon go? And Dave said, yes. So then Jim walked him through the scriptures through with the gospel, and he received Christ. Dave kept working for my son-in-law for probably another six months, and then he left town, he and his wife and his little girl. He was a young guy, 21, 22. And, uh, but about three years, we lost track of him. About three years later, he came through town and called Joe, and they had lunch, and uh, Joe asked him, said, did, uh, did the demon ever come back? He said, no, never bothered me again. And he had, wherever he had gone to, he said he got in a good little church and uh, was reading his Bible and was growing in the faith. And uh, so uh, our battles against the evil of the unseen, but Paul says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Let me pray. Father, uh, the psalmist tells us, unless the Lord builds a house, they who labor, labor in vain. So Father, unless you come, by your Holy Spirit with our time here together as brothers, nothing will happen. So we ask you to take this time and use it for your purposes and your glory, and may it all be pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. So let's talk about, let's talk about um, Developing our biblical faith. And I used to have H. I don't want to take responsibility. Here it is. I was going to blame it on you, but. First uh, <laughs> John 5, 4 tells us, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And so the Apostle Paul begins, starts developing our faith with verse 14 when he says, gird your loins with truth. The Lord Jesus in the high priestly prayer in John 17 said to God the Father in prayer, he says, sanctify them, sanctify them. He's talking about it. He's, as, as we say down south, uh, 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 as we say in the South, uh, sanctify them, uh, usins. And he's, he's talking to usins also, see. So sanctify them in the, in the truth. Thy word is truth. We must be serious students of the scriptures. When Satan tempted Jesus, he even quoted scripture. Then the Apostle Paul goes on with developing our faith, and he says, then, then comes the um, put on the breastplate of righteousness, which comes as we obey and apply all that God shows us in the scriptures. 
Now, there's a condition for God to show us the truths of the scriptures. We can read them, but the condition of Jesus opening our spiritual eyes to understand is our willingness to obey and apply the scriptures. Hmm. Following truth and righteousness, he says, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. Hmm. I scratched my head when I saw that at first. But then as I thought, regularly sharing the gospel helps us keep a kingdom God focus on people. And by the way, that's what Christianity is about. The individual. It's amazing. Almighty God and his preeminent interest in this whole world that we know is the individual. Isn't that something? And then he picks a bunch of well, I got to be careful what word I use here. Like us. Wow. Wow, wow. So, sharing the gospel helps us keep a kingdom God focus in our in the spiritual welfare of others. By the way, just throw this in a quick self-administered spiritual health test for ourselves. Let me just give you two, right quick, if you want to know how you're doing. One is, am I grateful? Just listen to ourselves. Or, am I complaining? Am I disputing with people? Hmm. Grateful. What do you have that you have not received? And why do you boast as if you have not? Hmm. And the other is, are we regularly sharing the gospel with others? Hmm. By the way, Scott touched on this, but gratitude is the antidote to anger. Hmm. It's an antidote to a lot of things, but it sure is anger. Then in verse 16... We're told to, in addition to all, or some translation says, above all, take up the shield of faith with which we may be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. I think, as I've already said, I think a lot of those missiles are disruptive thoughts. Because if you can control a man's thoughts, you can control a man. So what is the shield of faith? Well, it's biblical faith, which we're instructed to use as a shield to resist evil distractions. As Christians, we say we believe in God. Hmm. What does that mean to us? Let me ask you, rhetorically, what comes to your mind when you ask yourself, I believe in God. 
Let me illustrate. A friend of mine, years ago, lost a son to leukemia, young son. And he tell, told the story that uh, after it was all over, he got a letter from a well-meaning Christian. And in the letter, the Christian said to him, I don't know why you lost your son, but I do know one thing. God doesn't kill little boys. And my friend said he thought hard and long about that. And he concluded that if God doesn't kill little boys, then he's got a God that's out of control. And he's in much worse shape than losing his son. See, two concepts of the sovereignty of God. And so, building up our biblical faith is as we, God reveals himself through the scriptures, he helps us expand our concept of who he is and what he's like. That's why the scriptures, and the scriptures are the only place we're going to get it, Phyllis. So, how well is our concept of God's sovereignty and omnipotence, all-powerfulness? Good question. After all, the Bible tells us that God is all-powerful and he calls the shots. Do we believe God sanctions everything that comes into our life. When trials come, do we continue to ask why? Or do we quietly say to ourselves, I wonder what God's doing. Hmm. Another question. How well is our concept of God's goodness and love developed? Do we believe everything God brings into our life is for our good? Even the difficult and painful times that we don't understand? Bless you. Do we believe God when he says, and, and this, it's interesting, this verse has been used twice already. Romans 8, 28, do we believe God when he says, we know God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now that's not carte blanche. That's just to certain people and not all Christians or professing Christians. He says, to those who love God, how do you love God? Well, you obey him. Called according to purpose, that's grace. He reached out and saved us from ourselves, didn't he? So for the obedient Christian, do we believe 
that. That even when we suffer from the consequences of someone else's actions, do we believe that God will even take those circumstances and make them for our good? That's what he says he will do. I remember time, I remember one time several years ago, my wife Judy and I, she wasn't in the best of health, but her eyes were really bothering her. She was having a hard time seeing. So I took her to an ophthalmologist and they checked her out and uh, then the doctor came in and he said to her, Judy said, uh, you are almost legally blind. You cannot drive your car anymore. And she and I were shocked. So we left. We were walking across the parking lot, holding hands, and we were both just kind of stunned and hadn't said a word. Before we got to the car, she broke the silence and she said, God knows what he's doing and got in the car, and that was the end of, the end of it for her. I got in the car and wept. Hmm. Hmm. One way to determine how well our concept of God's goodness and love is developed is when hard trials come, do we react or do we respond? Another question on the concept of God. How well is our concept of God's wrath and judgment developed? Do we fear God to the point that it's a deterrent to my desire, to the flesh, to sin? Let me repeat that. Do we fear God to the point that it's a deterrent? It keeps us from doing some things we really want to do because it's sin. See, the professing Christian that says he does not fear God is saying his driving faith hope is in this world instead of God. Men, faith, hope, and fear are inseparable. If our hope is truly in God, then we'll fear him. Because fear and hope are intrinsically related. You take a wealthy man. And his hope is in his wealth. What does he fear? <laughs> Fears losing his wealth, doesn't he? Parenthetically, the professing Christian that does not fear God has no biblical basis to believe that he even is a Christian. He may be, only God knows, but he has no biblical basis to believe that. 
All right, let's go on. Jesus explains this this way. This verse has been used before this. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or the world, if you will. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here to you and I? He says all men are slaves, either to Jesus or to Satan, because he is the ruler of this world under the authority of Jesus Christ. See, men, that's why we see various apostles introducing themselves as bondservants of Christ, because they see themselves as bondservants, slaves. Hmm. When a Christian does his best to live out the bondservant role to Jesus, he begins to learn that is the way to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And God's ways are so different than ours. Sometimes they're upside down and backwards to how we think. You want to gain your life? What do you have to do? You have to lose it, don't you? Just to reinforce this, the Apostle Paul gives us an example. over in 2 Corinthians 12. And the context here is, as I briefly mentioned before, Paul has a thorn in the flesh. He'd like to get rid of it. I don't have any clue what it is, but I know he wanted to get rid of it. It says he asked God three times for it, to get rid of it. And that's where just he said that God, Satan gave it to him. God had Satan give it to him. That's really interesting. You guys on your own ought to go back and read that. So anyway, this is God's reply. But he's, and he's saying no to Satan. I mean to, God, uh, to Paul. And by the way, Paul says the reason God does this is he has shown me some truths and some things that a man is not even able to speak, they were so wonderful in paradise that God took Paul. And so he said to keep me from boasting, he said he gave me these thorn in the flesh, which was for Paul's good. So God says to him, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient. And by the way, man, grace. We think of grace, I think, many times when, we get, when we're converted. At, and it is grace. You're saved by grace through faith and not of yourselves. Gift of God, not of works. But as a Christian, if God gives us grace, it's supernatural empowerment. It's like the Apostle Paul there in Colossians that we read right off the bat there. He, he recognized he was doing his, his ministry according to God's power that was working within him. 
And so my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast in my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And then he goes on and he finishes up and he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Hmm. Wow. That's so contrary to how we think, but In addition, the bondservant of Christ begins to realize when we begin to try to live out our bondservant role before Christ, we begin to realize and experience what the apostle John tells us when he writes, greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. the power of the Holy Spirit, if we'll just let him have his way. The Holy Spirit is not pushy. He's real. He's God. The Holy Spirit sometimes is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Jesus in us. And he's with us all the time. And he wants to have his way in our life for our good because he loves us. It's not just what he did on the cross. He made that possible, but now, now he continually wants to give us all that he came for to become like him, to prepare us to spend eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. And so, I'm going to mention this, I think, a little later. But men, as we begin to try to live this out, the Holy Spirit begins to make changes in our soul, mystical changes we don't understand. But we gradually become more Christ-like. Not anything we do except live out our bondship. The Bible calls it sanctification, glorification. And it's a process. And we, that's why we're here, men, to prepare us for eternity. Well, enough on that. We can spend more time on it, but in addition to our concept of God as the object of our biblical faith, even to help us along that path, he also gives us promises. Peter, in chapter 1 of Peter, 2 Peter, uh, he goes through kind of a 
progression also, kind of like Paul is here in Ephesians, of uh, how we become, do our part of living out our uh, bondship to Christ. But even to help us more, God says, for by this, Peter says it, but for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them he might, that you might become partakers of a divine nature. Did you hear what he said? You keep his promises and you'll become Christ-like. Wow. Having escaped the corruption, corruption that is in the world by lust. Isn't that something? He says, I'm going to give you all these promises, and if you'll begin to live on them, you'll begin to take on the divine nature. Notice, hmm. all men live by promises, fellas. The atheist lives by promises. An employer promises to pay you certain things if you'll work for him. Based on his promises, you make your decision one way or the other. You're living on one promise, all of us that are Christians. We've put our faith in the promise that Christ made that if we'd put our faith in Christ, we'd receive forgiveness of sins in heaven. So we all live by promises, but we also live by promises other than the promises of God. And so as we live and begin to replace some of our our promises we're living on in this world with the promises of God when they're contrary. Hmm. Then we begin to become Christ-like. This is a lifelong process called sanctification. And by the way, I didn't have time to go into promises. We could spend a whole period talking about God's promises. So I intentionally put in the, the handout they gave you. Just, I just cherry-picked a few promises of God, and you might take those. And let me just throw out a suggestion. Take one of those promises that really seems to be current for you that you need. Memorize it. Review it every day in your mind for 30 days. And then be intentional about living it out. Men, I'm telling you, it'll change your life. When I am weak, then I'm strong, huh? Well, let's go on. The Apostle Paul then goes on and he says, put on 
the helmet of salvation. Hmm. What does a football player put his helmet on for? <laughs> Protect his brain. NFLs really become very conscious or very aware of of um, concussions, haven't they? Yeah. Well, you know, we can have spiritual concussions too, fellas. If we don't control our thinking. So he says, put on the helmet of salvation, which reinforces our thinking with hope. Hmm. The word, word salvation is, is a more uh, all-inclusive word than I think some of us make and think of it. Was me. I think sometimes we use salvation just as a synonym with uh, being saved. And it certainly includes that, but it's far more. And Paul says, I want you to put on the helmet of salvation. And so let's review our salvation because it will reinforce our hope. First of all, let's review our past salvation as being saved from our sins, our conversion. When we review that, we think back who I was and where I was and where I am today because of Christ. Well, that reinforces our hope, doesn't it? And then if we review our present salvation, as we've said, we're being delivered from the power of sin. Hmm. Sanctification. God is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Wow. We just need to let him. living out, putting on the new man, putting off the old man, as Paul says earlier in Ephesians, our present salvation. And then our future salvation, a new heaven, a new earth. All these people that are just desperately afraid of climate change. It's going to destroy us. Well, they could sure relax if they just read Second Peter 3. God says, I'm taking my time because I'm hoping that everyone will repent and come to salvation, but also I'm going to destroy this thing with fire. It is so polluted that I'm going to destroy this earth and all that has been tainted with, with sin, and I'm going to create a new earth and a new heaven. And he's getting his people, you and I, ready. That's what this is all about. He's getting us ready. And he's going to take us out of here 
He's going to come and rule for a while, but eventually he's going to take us out of here. And then he's going to destroy this thing. Because you cannot reform sin. How's that for hope? And faith and hope are together. You can't separate them. Hebrews 11. Faith is the faith is the conviction of things hoped for. There's that word hope. That's future, isn't it? That's what we're talking about here now. The conviction of things not seen. That's what we're talking about here now. A new heaven, new earth. Man, when we review that, that kind of winds our clock, doesn't it? And that's what Paul's saying in all of this battle. Don't get discouraged. If you look at the big picture, all is well. <laughs> all is well. As the old hymn says, all is well with my soul. Hmm. Yeah. Michael? Can you uh, clarify that you said you can't reform sin? You mean we can reform the sinner, but we can't reform sin? Is that what you're alluding to? Or help me understand. Yeah, you can't reform sin. Once I sin, what am I going to do with it? I can find forgiveness, but it doesn't. It's still there. I'm still living with a lot of consequences of my sin in my past. And I'm somewhat reformed. I mean, Jesus has changed me, but he, I still live with the consequences. Yeah. So he says, put on the helmet of salvation. By the way, Part of that new heaven and new earth. And at my age, I'm really looking forward to that glorified body. <laughs> yeah, and I hear some of you guys talking about the old body ain't what it used to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to get a new one. Just keep charging, guys. And falling, putting on the helmet of salvation, he says, and taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hmm. There are two words, two major words, I should say, for the word, word, in the Scriptures. One, logos, meaning an expression of thoughts, concepts, ideas, reasoned speech. And most of the Bible, most of doctrine, uses the word logos, the Greek word logos, written word. But on occasion, 
In fact, quite a few occasions, if you look it up, I can't remember how many, but I was surprised. The word rima, and it's also word, use the word English word, and it means utterances which are spoken, the articulated expression of thought. Let me see if I can clean that up a little for us. Rima is not referred to the whole Bible as such, but to individual scriptures which the Spirit brings to our remembrance for the use at the time of need or instruction. For example, in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus is being tempted by Satan. And Satan, being a tempter, a liar, and on and on, says to Jesus, if you're the Son of God, how's that for trying to create doubt? If you are the Son of God, prove it. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. By the way, he'd just fasted 40 days, so he had to be hungry. Yeah. And remember what Jesus said? Hmm. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That word there is rima. By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Let me give you another illustration where rima shows up. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You ever been reading the scriptures? Maybe you've read this portion several times. And all of a sudden it just kind of jumps out at you. And you wow. And you sit and ponder it and think about it. Assimilate it. And by the way, obedience precedes those moments. God only will show us a little more of who he is and who we are to the obedient. Doesn't mean we were perfect, but that's our intent. And by the way, God's more interested in intent than our actions. <laughs> yeah. That's why men, when we do falter, God gave us a promise. Here we're back to promises. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So, so God knew we were still going to battle with the flesh. But his goal is for us to have unbroken fellowship with Jesus. So he says, when you stumble, 
Let's take care of it quick. Let's don't be out of fellowship very long. Don't wait till in the morning. Do it now. And Ray talked about walking in the Spirit. That's, that's all that walking in the Spirit is, fellas. It's not a big emotional thing at all. Now, it may affect our emotions, but not necessarily. And that's what God wants us to do, is just stay in unbroken fellowship with Him. But unless we do our best to live out our slaveship before Jesus. Nothing else is going to happen, guys. But if it does, wow. I find, men, that memorizing Scripture is so important. So we have Scripture available for timely recall by the Holy Spirit to defend ourselves against evil distractions. So I would encourage you, I would encourage you to start taking some of these promises or scriptures that really have jumped out to you and God, you feel like God's really spoken to you and memorize them. Take ownership of them. And what will happen, men, is sometimes by your own conscious effort, you'll use them to combat thoughts that are distracting to you. But sometimes we may not even be able to bring those thoughts to ourselves at the proper time, but the Holy Spirit will and you use it. But if you don't have it tucked in, the Holy Spirit can't bring it to you. And that's, boy, that's the way you really increase the quality of your walk with Jesus. Hmm. Remember, well, I'm reminded, the psalmist in Psalm 73 had experienced this intimacy with Christ, which Christ wants. He wants unbroken fellowship with us. And the psalmist says, what do I have in heaven but you? and I desire nothing on the earth. And then a couple, three verses later, he says, as for me, the nearness of Christ, or the nearness of God, is my good. And men, when we begin to get a taste of that intimacy, nothing else satisfies. And we find ourselves more and more wanting that, which brings about a life of when I am weak, then I'm strong. 
And that's what Paul's talking about here. Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Yeah. Boy, it's a wonderful life. Gets better and better. Or gooder and gooder, however you want to say it. Yeah. Well, the Apostle Paul finishes up being prepared for the spiritual battle with prayer. And he says, pray at all times in the Spirit. We're back to that Holy Spirit again, aren't we, Ray? Praying in the Spirit is not just an obedient exercise where we can check off a box in the morning and move on for the day. Praying at all times in the Spirit is prayer beyond asking God for what we want. Now there's a time for that and it's very appropriate because God says you have not because you ask not. So you deal makers, you don't want to leave anything on the table, do you? But the prayer is beyond asking God for what he wants, but is a continuous lifestyle of both waiting and listening for what God wants from us and what he, oh, I apologize, those, uh, Pronouns should be capitalized. For what God wants from us and what he wants to do in us, through us, and for us. And that John 5.30, that's one of those verses that hit me one time. And I memorized it. And I'll bet you I spent a year chewing on that and getting the juice out of it. And the Lord Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. We're talking about God himself in the form of a man, the God-man Jesus. And he says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, wow, that sounds like maybe praying in the Spirit, waiting, listening. Hmm. As I hear, then I judge, I make decisions, I make good decisions. And my judgment is just good decisions. Why? Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. (laughs) And he modeled, he modeled what slave life is like. Men, I would suggest to you, I would hope, that you would take that verse and memorize it and chew on it. And I would ask God right now, the Lord, would you, the guys that will do that, would you just bless them 
in the same way you bless me with it. In, name, in Christ's name, I ask that for these guys. It absolutely changed my life, fellas. Changed my life. And I covet that. Oh, do I cover that for you. Praying in the Spirit is living in cadence with the will of the Holy Spirit. Men, when we give the Holy Spirit total, total access to our life, hold back nothing. then God, that's who he is, the Spirit of Christ, then God begins to do marvelous things. As Paul says at the end of that prayer in Ephesians 3, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you ask or think, Listen to this. According to the power that works within you, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. That's another one that really will change you if you memorize it. Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Man, we've got so much going for us, guys, if we'll just release it. Give up myself. Yes, sir. Grab a, grab a mic. So praying in the spirit, does that include glossolalia? I'm sad. Say what? Praying in the spirit, does that include glossolalia, speaking in tongues? Not necessarily, no, does not, doesn't exclude it. That's a gift. Not every man has that gift, but all men can pray in the spirit. Correct. Yes, that's, I agree with that. Okay. Uh, but I have found in my life that even though I don't have the gift of tongues, I can use it in my own personal prayer life and benefit from it. Mm. Well, that's a whole different issue. And, but uh, we're talking about we're talking about all Christians. This is what they can do, and then God will take certain guys and give them for His purposes for the body all kinds of gifts. And we all have gifts. Every one of us has a spiritual gift or more. And what's interesting with the body of Christ, see the church, and Jerry, Jerry really, really did a nice job with us. The church is people, but it's not an organization. It's an organism. I remember in junior high science, and I looked through the microscope, and I saw an amoeba and the protoplasm just moving around in it. 
And in my mind, I thought later, much later, I thought, that's what the body of Christ is like. It's just protoplasm. And that's where the life is, in the protoplasm. And that's what the church is. And it's interesting, I think a lot of guys I know don't even know what their spiritual gift is, but you know what they're doing? They're exercising it. And the spiritual gift is not for us, but it's our part that we contribute to this organism called the church. So therefore, we need each other. Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. So that means we ought to throw away all of our pride. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And we gotta, we need gotta. That sounds like what I learned in English when I was a kid because I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. We have to really appreciate each other and love each other and let each other reinforces. And you guys, all of you have had this experience. You get together with just a brother or two or three guys and you just get to talking and you're like-minded. And you may talk about the scriptures, you may not. And you come away better. That's the body of Christ. And God gave you something, some gift to contribute to the body of Christ. Hmm. Yeah. So, along with the lifestyle of praying in the Spirit, I've said this before, but it's so important, I'm going to repeat it again. As we walk in the Spirit, as we pray in the Spirit, we begin by the Spirit to, God begins by His Spirit to make permanent mystical changes in our spirit, in our soul, to Christ-likeness. We call it sanctification, purification. Peter calls it godliness. And godliness is not so much what we do, but who we are. Well, in closing, let me say, as a bondservant of Jesus, we must let Jesus be our authority, our guardian, and our empowerment to defend ourselves against the evil forces. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Hmm. I thought we might just take a minute or two. Each one of us can have a little personal prayer. And uh, if 
If you haven't come to, or maybe you need to review it with Jesus, that's your bond servant. You might want to do that. And let me just uh, suggest that maybe all of us include this in our personal prayer. Oh, Lord God, help me let you have your way in my life. In the name of Jesus. Let's all just silently have a little prayer and then I'll finish it up. Holy Father, Lord Jesus, dear Spirit, help my brothers and I be the men that you want us to be. And we ask it in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, man.